why don't you be upstanding just to welcome Prophet Amanda Wells. Awesome. Do you know the sociologists tell us that we have three to five creative thoughts every day and most of us don't do anything with them. Three to five. So God's already given us the power, that, that power to create wealth, to create that, that thing that, that, um, that causes us to be able to dis- distribute the kingdom. So are you ready tonight? I'm really looking forward to tonight. I loved all the songs and you'll see why in a minute. That God is just so good. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you tonight for what you're doing. I thank you, Father, that your kingdom is, is here. Your kingdom come. Your will be done right here in this meeting tonight, in our lives, Lord, in our nation. Father, I thank you so much for what you're saying to us. I thank you, God, that you are such a father that cares and loves and Father just wants to walk with us, talk with us. You are just amazing. And so Father, tonight I thank you that I'll be able to share your words with clarity, Father, and you will do what you need to do in our hearts and in our lives, bring even a paradigm shift tonight. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about the Kingdom Church. What is it? What is an apostolic church? Because God is raising up apostolic churches in this season. And I believe that this church is an apostolic church. And where we will find that the apostolic house will start to rally around the fathers. Because denominationalism rallies around legalism. And the church must... We saw even parts of it tonight when, if you listen to some of the prophetic words, if you listen to the songs we were singing, and even what people were saying, I believe that God wants the church to manage and govern the earth like never before. I believe it's time that we started managing every part of the earth. And we have been positioned by God in this season. Because right now in this season, God wants to show through us all things are possible. I don't believe there's anything that's impossible to you and I. When you even hear that story that God says to a guy, you know, go and just start a business and don't worry about the rest of it. All things are possible. Just close the door and start to believe. I believe that's part of the God that we serve. And that is part of even the apostolic church that he's raising up in this hour. We, the apostolic church, are called to engage the authority of heaven over the affairs of hell that are happening right now on the earth. We are not to sit there and say, oh God, everything's falling apart. We are supposed to be. We're supposed to be governing. We're supposed to be engaging the authority of heaven over every single affair that hell throws at us on the earth. And how do we do that? We live in a timeless zone. I love it. A timeless zone. Remember, time isn't physical. Time is spiritual. We are the body of Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We saw that tonight, seated with him. And even though we've still got an earth suit and we're still on earth, you know what? God talks to us from a timeless zone. Because there is no time for God. He is the beginning and he is the end. You know, God speaks to us from the end. He never speaks to you from the beginning. Go with me to Ecclesiastes 3.15 real quick. It says, whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. God speaks to us from the end. When God looks at you, he doesn't see where you are now. When God sees you, when God sees you, when even when you got born again, he doesn't see everything that's happening in your life now. He looks and he sees your end. He sees what you can be. He looks and he sees your destiny. He looks and he sees your future. He looks and he sees how great you are. He looks and he sees the greatness that's in you. He looks and he says, all things are possible. Why can't you just believe me? My goodness, if you could see your end, you would 
changing about today. If I could see my end, I wouldn't be saying, oh God, everything's falling apart today because in the future, it's all together. So your future, do you know what? Your future isn't waiting for you to create it, but it's waiting for you to discover it. And I think too many of us are trying to find, oh, where's my future? God's saying, it's already there. You don't have to create it. You don't have to think about it. You just have to go out and find it. And in God's timeless world, we sang this in so many songs tonight. He is king and we are his body. I want, have you ever thought about that? He is the king of kings and we are his body. You know that scripture in Matthew 8, verse 20, it says, the son of man hath no place to lay his head. And we sort of got all religious about it and said, oh, that's because foxes have holes. And, you know, Jesus said foxes have holes and birds have, have nests. So, you know, God, Jesus had no money, so he had nowhere to lay his head. What a load of rubbish. Let me tell you what that actually meant. I can't talk about the first part. I haven't got time. But he said, he had no place to lay his head. Why? Because he was the king. And the problem was there was no body that had been prepared for him yet. There was no body for the head to sit on. So he said, I have no place yet to lay my head because I'm the king. And in Hebrews, you're going to find that there is a body that's being prepared for me. And that body isn't a broken body. That body isn't just a a, 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 a disposable body. That body isn't a sick body. That body isn't a, a poor body. That body is the body of a king because its head's a king. And if its head's a king, you can't have a body that, that isn't a king. You can't have a king's head and a pauper's body. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but when I look at Queen Liz, she ain't got no pauper's body. She knows that everything that she wears, everything she does comes out of the body of a queen. And I want to talk about that tonight because I think sometimes we don't realize that the king needed somewhere to lay his head and that head is laid on us. The body. And so as the body, we are here. Do you know what we're here for? To administrate the kingdom. That's what we're here for. To administrate the domain of the king. To bring the king or the kingdom into the present. We actually heard it today. The kingdom is the domain of the king into the present. The territory of the king. We are called to bring heaven right here to earth. And the thing is, if we want transformation of our city, I believe we've almost got to have a brain transplant because I I can't think poor anymore. I can't think like a pauper anymore. I can't think low anymore. I need God to change my thinking because it doesn't happen externally. Transformation just doesn't happen. One day we wake up and poof, there's revival. Oh, fantastic. Where it starts is in here. It starts in us, Romans 12 verse 2. I think sometimes we've made a bit of a meal of this. I think sometimes as Christians, we've looked and we've, we've said, you know, well, do not be conformed to this world. Don't go to the movies. Don't watch television. Don't do that. Let me explain to you what that word means. Romans 12 verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The word conformed comes from the Greek word echo. It's a really deep word. It means echo. You know what an echo is? I I say, hello, and it goes, hello, 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 hello. That's exactly what it means. It's a reflection of a sound. Then it says, do not be an echo to this. And the word to this is the word automatic. It's the word autos in Greek. And then it says to this world. And the word world is aeon. And it actually means to the past. And sometimes I wonder if we are echoing automatically what we heard in the past instead of looking and saying, My God, you are a king and your head sits on my body. 
I don't have to think how I used to. I don't have to believe as I used to. If someone called me stupid, guess what? That's an echo. And I don't listen to echoes. If someone says, Amanda, you're sick, that's an echo. Because my God, he sent Jesus Christ and by his stripes, I am healed. That is my future. I do not listen to echoes of the past anymore because I'm not conformed to this world. But I am transformed by the renewing of my mind. And the word transformed actually is the word renovation. You know, when you get a house, you pull everything out that's old and you put everything in that's new. God, pull everything out of me that's, oh yeah, the wrinkles and all, God, please. Pull it all out that's old. Because God, I want to have everything in me that's new. God, everything that's not working, every belief that's not working, pull it out, God. Let a renovation take place because whatever shapes my mind will be the shape that my body takes on. And we need an apostolic church to lead the way. Do you know we need need a church that people can follow? We need something that people can actually say, I want what they've got. If we don't do that, if we don't, if we don't nurture what we've got here, they go back to what they know. They go back to the past. And we do not want people going back to the past. We want them to find their future. Let me just tell a story about someone who went back to their past. Uh, everyone knows about King Saul. Everybody almost like he's almost demonized. You know what? Ooh, King Saul, the, uh, you know, he was like disobedient. That was the sin of witchcraft. But I feel sorry for King Saul. And you'll see why in a minute. I'm probably the only one in the world who does, but I do. And you do too. Good. Someone else. King Saul, you've got to remember he was a farm boy. He was just a farm boy. He looked after his dad's donkeys. He just looked after the farm and one day the donkeys went missing and he's out looking for them. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in, the, in a minute, about how every Jewish family was actually talking about kingship. Everyone was talking about kings, but the Jews didn't have a king. So this is why they were all singing out, God, you have been talking about kingship since Genesis. You've been talking about kings since the beginning of the Bible, but we're not seeing any. And God turned around and said, okay, I'm going to pick one. Any, meeny, miny, mo, Saul's it. And this poor little Saul, this, this farm boy, is out looking for his father's donkeys. And along comes this hairy prophet one day. And says, thus saith God, you will be the next king. What did a king look like? Do you know, sometimes it's like us. We talk about revival. We're having revival. We're going to have revival. We're doing someone born again. What is revival? Does it mean that everybody's going to drop of a heart attack up the front? We're all going to do CPR on them. I mean, what does revival look like? And suddenly there is Saul who's now told, you are a king. I mean, one minute he was chasing after donkeys. Now he's suddenly a king. And then Saul goes on and says, now Saul, I want you to go up to the hill of God because there is a garrison of the enemy up there. Take them all out. Uh, Yeah, exactly. She's raised her eyebrows like, what on earth does that mean? So he goes up and what are the two things that Saul kept? He kept the animals. Why? Because that was his past. He didn't kill them because that was something that he knew. And the other thing he kept was the enemy king. Why? Because he was the only one that actually could show him what a king did. And the thing was that Saul hadn't renewed his mind. Saul 
didn't understand that he was just echoing from the past, Saul needed to go to God and say, God, I need to know what a king looks like. I need to get the download out of that cloud. I need to get the download of heaven. God, you've given me this amazing prophetic word. Don't let me be an echo to the past. Don't let me just want to go back to what I'm used to. But God, with this prophetic word, let me understand your viewpoint. Let me understand what you're saying, God, not how I'm interpreting it. And sometimes with prophetic words, if we're not careful, God says, I will raise you up. You will go into the ends of the earth. You will be a healing revivalist, whatever it is. And we interpret it from what we've heard from the past instead of going to God and saying, God, I want to see my future. I don't want to see my past. I want to see it as I am in the future. I want to take hold of it and I want to bring it in to today. So if you think of Saul next time, remember what I said. And God, I believe, is raising up kings who will bring a paradigm shift, who will actually preach the message of the kingdom in this time. We're going to speak the message of the kingdom. And if you don't understand, and if I don't understand the message of the kingdom, then you will not, and I will not understand our assignment as kings. And honestly, today I'm looking at the body of Christ and I'm seeing something. I'm seeing something birthed. I'm seeing a young generation and they really believe that they're kings. I believe that we've got to get this revelation because if we don't understand it, how on earth are we going to pray? Your kingdom come. How can his kingdom come if there are no kings to govern the kingdom? And kingdom means the king's domain. The domain actually means his territory and his sphere. And so when Jesus spoke to the disciples of those of his day, you have to remember he was speaking mainly to Jews who had been taught not only the Torah, but those Jews had been taught ancient Jewish wisdom, or we could say ancient Jewish thought. And Jews had a generational understanding of government and headship. They understood it. This is why, remember when God said to Abraham, Abraham, look up at the sky and see all the stars and then count them. We all think, well, he's looked up that one, two, three, five hundred million, six hundred. Hey, Sarah, we're going to have 700 million kids. Aren't you happy? She looked at herself and says, I don't think so. She looked at him, he was getting on. I certainly don't think so. You know what I mean? Everything had gone south for the winter. This ain't going to work, Abraham. But he didn't just look up there and say, look at the stars. Do do, do you remember that everything, we've got to go back and look at it the way that they looked at it. For, For the Hebrews, everything was directed by stars. Time, season, was directed by stars. Headship and rulership was talked about by stars. He is the bright morning star. He is the the star of David, all of that. So when Abraham looked up there, he wasn't just looking and thinking 700 million babies coming from Sarah. Woohoo! Wow. He was looking up there and saying, look at the governance that's coming on the earth. Look at the constellations. Look at the main stars in those constellations. Because every Jewish child was brought up to believe that they were a leader. No child was ever brought up to think they couldn't do anything. Every Jewish child grows up to believe that they will lead thousands. Because that is what the covenant said. Can you imagine if we could start to raise up our children in the ways they should go? What is that to lead a nation? We wouldn't be sitting here thinking on Saturday, who are we going to vote for? Is there a Christian anywhere? Come on. We would be knowing 
that as Christians, we had raised up children in our midst, all ready to take on government, all ready to take on the arts and entertainment, all ready to take on business, all ready to take on the education. That is what we're called to do. That is what the Jews did. They raised up their children to be leaders. We're not just raising up children here in children's church just to have fun out there and hear some some nice little parables. We're raising them up as kings to bring the kingdom into Brisbane. None of this is the message. Where am I going? Jews understood the function and the relationship of kings and anticipated a king's emergence. Anticipated. We're not anticipating, I don't believe. You know, even when Jesus entered Jerusalem, a multitude came out to meet him and they cried, blessed is the king. Because since Genesis, they'd been waiting for a king. Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, the king cometh sitting upon an ass. Hebrews, they understood kingship. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. Now go with this because this is interesting. I want to show you something about kingship. We sung it tonight. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. Do you know the Jews knew they were chosen? And the word holy, chosen, and kings. Look at this. The word holy in Hebrew means this. Kadesh. That's the Hebrew word, Kadesh. And one of its meanings is majestic or kingly. Now, the problem is with us charismatic Pentecostals, we've lowered the word chosen to just being, oh, well, you're, you're wanted, you're loved, you're precious, you're a treasure. And that's true. But to a Jew, chosen meant this that you are appointed for a purpose and an assignment. When God says you are chosen, it's not just that you're, you're precious and you are loved. Of course you are. Any dad who would send his son to die for you, you are loved. But it means I am chosen. There is something about me. I have an assignment I have a purpose. And that assignment was to make Israel the greatest nation on earth. And for God, that mandate has never changed because he says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a holy priesthood, a whole nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. As chosen kings, our mandate is to make the church the greatest entity on this earth. Can you imagine How do we do that? I just said it a second ago. Through the spheres of influence and culture. And I believe even evangelizing, we've got to evangelize those areas. Politics, education, family, religion, business, arts, entertainment, media. I believe it's time that the church just didn't say, oh, well, you know, we can't just get involved. Hollywood's going to hell. Well, let's save it. I was in church sometime, a long time ago, a few years ago, a number of years ago now. And I'm sitting in the front row and there was a visiting preacher and he looked up and he said, the government and church should never meet, no Christian should ever go into government. My husband put his hand on my knee and he said, shut up. He knew I was about to manifest. I'm like, if no Christian goes into government... What happens to our government? It goes to hell. If no Christian goes to Hollywood and becomes a director or actors, what happens to Hollywood? It goes to hell. And what did God call the church to do to bring people from snake? Jesus came to snatch them out of hell and into his wonderful light. Can you imagine if we could go into those areas? Whatever, if you even work in McDonald's, McDonald's is your territory. I'm getting ahead of myself. You're a king. 
You're not just walking, oh, you know, they're going to sack me tomorrow. They can't sack a king. How can they sack Queen Elizabeth? Sorry, honey, you're sacked. You know what she'd do? So is the government. You're fired. I did it in Whitlam years. I'll do it again. We have to realize who we are. Even if you're in McDonald's, that territory is yours. Those people are yours. Let me keep going. Otherwise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose it. A king. Do you know what a king does? A king administrates in the natural what a priest does in the spiritual. A royal priesthood does that. A priest has the ability to go in and out of heaven to open up a pathway between heaven and earth to administer supernatural things on behalf of human needs. The supernatural. The super... Oh, God, please give me the supernatural. I need it. God said, you're a priest. Get up to heaven and grab it. Open a pathway. And then a king has latitude on a horizontal scale to administer or administrate the supernatural and influence over an assigned territory. Can you imagine if we go to work tomorrow? Can you imagine as kings and priests? Could you imagine the supernatural just breaking out? The Lord is looking for a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood that can access heaven, come down to earth with tangible solutions. Do you know heaven has a solution for everything. There is nothing in heaven that there is no solution for. You know, what do we really think happens in heaven? Sometimes I wonder. I think the way that we've sort of been taught is that men all run around with white nighties on singing in clouds. I don't want to see Pastor Joel in a white nighty. I like him, but not in a white night. I don't want him sitting on a cloud singing with a harp, you know. That would be freaky to me. Have you ever thought about heaven? Where did Steve Jobs get the design for the iPhone and for the iPad? Where did Microsoft come from? Where did the Deutsche Bank or the World Bank get all of their, their strategies and everything for today. Can you imagine what's in heaven that we haven't even downloaded yet? And we're sitting there thinking that we're going to sing on a white cloud. I told God I'm too ADD. If I've got to sit for a thousand years on a cloud, I'm going to get bored. You've got to give me something to do on that cloud. And I think, can you imagine what is in heaven that we as a royal priesthood should be downloading. That's why Graham Cook said to that guy, I love that testimony. That's why he said, there's an idea in you. What's the idea? It's from heaven. Just become a, a, a whatever. You mean I, I can become a whatever? Yes, because it's God's idea. There is something in heaven for each one of us. And I think sometimes we're not downloading that supernatural. We're not downloading the heavens and what's in there. Let me keep going. Otherwise, I'm not going to finish. We're supposed to be ruling with dominion on the earth in the presence of our enemies. Not the enemies coming and having dominion over me. But me standing there in the presence of my enemies. I'm ruling and reigning. I'm a king. How can you attack me? I'm a king. Because when you show up, God shows off. That is the testimony of the gospel of the kingdom. We are equipped as a royal kingly priesthood to bring the king's domain of peace, joy, righteousness into our city. You know, in our city, we have power over darkness that keeps people in bondage. We have love that shows we care. We have grace to give them the power to change. We have mercy to pick up the fallen. That's the kingdom. And we have the courage to be violent when it's needed. And a king can be violent. Yeah, you look at the kings of England, you're off with your head. We can be violent. And we have the answer to every 
future problem. I, I just want to spend two minutes to look at the Bible from a Kadesh, a kingly mindset. We have to understand we are kings. Now, I know, just fasten your seatbelt. Some of you might get upset with this, especially the women. You are not a princess and you are not a prince. I can see some of you right now. Don't you take my crown from me. I want my tiara. A princess is an immature leader. A princess has no territory to rule or govern. Prince Charles, Prince William, even Prince Philip has no territory to rule or to govern. The queen does. And so when we call ourselves a princess, God looks at us like, what are you talking about? If the head of your body is a king, you can't be a princess. You have to be a king. We look at Esther from a charismatic Pentecostal mindset and not from Jewish wisdom. Let me just talk about that for a minute. Esther was a Jew. She was trained by a Jew, Mordecai. But in the years before God had a bad day, and he had three of them, and that bad day, he was in a bad mood. He only had three of them, and he actually stopped talking for 400 years. Remember that bit of a bad day? And in that 400 years, Judaism was introduced. Before that, they were actually called Hebrews. And with that Judaism, around 200 new laws were introduced. And all of them regarded women. Women were no longer to be trained. Women were no longer to be educated. Women were no longer to speak to men. Women were taught that they were stupid after that. And they were so dumb that they could never be, never be anything. But before that 400 years of silence... They were taught, actually they were taught in the Talmud, that at 12 years old for a girl, she had all the rights of a Jew. That she had a covenant. That she was a leader. So Esther, who was trained by Mordecai, grew up believing she was a queen. She actually, she was a Jew. For Esther... All those years that she was trained by Mordecai, she grew up believing she was Kadesh. She was holy. She was a queen. So she's young. She goes into a king's harem. But you know what? She knew the moment she was in there, she was the queen. She had kingly blood. That's why she could stand behind, but before the king, she knew the protocol of kingship. She wasn't some frightened little girl in a harem. Oh, what am I going to do? She was a woman who understood Kadesh. She was a woman who understood I'm a king. She was a woman that understood it doesn't matter what situation I'm in, what the enemy is doing in the presence of my enemies, that even when the enemy is trying to destroy my nation, I am Kadesh. I can stand as a king and I can say enemy because I'm a king because of Jesus Christ bow your knee because you imagine that's what we're called to do so when I say I'm a princess the enemy looks at me and says what that little tiny little sapphire that little tiara I'm like oh no have you seen Queen Elizabeth's crown have you seen that one that's the one I wear enemy Don't think I'm your your little princess. You can't get by with me. Come on. I'm a king. Could you imagine if we could get this mindset into us? We're kings. Nothing could come against us. Let me try and finish. So what is the culture of an apostolic church who are governing, a governing priesthood of kings? When Paul talked about um, apostles, You know, it wasn't just about those who build churches. We made something weird out of it. Paul spoke from a kingdom perspective. Apostle in Greek is sent one. It's not just one who is sent to start out a church. 
But it's one who is sent from one place to another place to reproduce in the place that they're sent the culture of the place that they are sent from. Now, the word apostle is not a New Testament word. It's not an Old Testament word, really, because it is a Phoenician Navy term. And the Phoenician Navy began around 2,500 years ago and was developed during the 400 years of silence. And the Phoenicians were seafarers. They were manufacturers. They were traders. They were skilled in metalwork. They were skilled in glass. They even made the cloth for kings. And the lead naval ship was called the Apostle Ship. That's what Apostle Ship means. And the goal was to take over the territory they were sent to. So they would go into a territory, take over the culture, so as to reproduce in that territory the culture of where they came from. As an apostolic church, we come from the culture of heaven. We are supposed to be, we're supposed to be going in and reproducing the culture of heaven in every place that our foot treads. The Romans did the same thing. They took a strategy even from what the Greeks were doing. They sent their top generals into territory and took with them their culture. They took with them their politicians, their worshippers, their artists, their educators. Because the issue, they didn't, if they didn't, they discovered when they came back to the conquered territory sometime later, the people of that territory hadn't changed their culture. And our aim is to go in and conquer and culturize territory. Our aim is to go into Brisbane and turn the culture around so that heaven is released. An apostle is a New Testament secular word and its practice was a New Testament concept. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, he's there with Jews who were being ruled by Romans and understood the term. So Jesus took a secular word, one that the disciples were familiar with, and called his disciples not by an Old Testament name, not you're my priest, not you're my prophets, you're my pre-established leadership, but he called them by a secular name. And he sent them out and commissioned them to conquer and culturize. Do you know as disciples what we are to do? We have the power to shift the culture. And I believe that we have to go into every mind molder of society. And we are to take the structures that are in our society and we are to change the culture of our society. We are to bring more and more of God's kingdom and will into the earth and demonstrate the kingdom of God because as kings, the land is our territory. The land. Every bit of land that you tread on is your territory. God gave Adam and woman land as a wedding present. Abraham was given a covenant promise of land. It was given to him and all his seed. And then God had to show Moses the land again because the nation had come into slavery for a generation and forgot its possibilities. Slavery paralyzes the mind and stops us from believing. God said, you were designed to be landowners. You were designed to have land. You and I were designed to have Australia. When God put you here, whether he put you here through birth, whether he put you here on a boat, whether he put you here on an airplane, God said, I designed you so that this land is yours. It's your land. We are landowners. Every place my foot treads, God said, I've given it to you. When I walk into my house tonight, every place my foot treads, devil, you cannot overrule my family. That is where my foot treads. My kids, devil, you can't have them. My foot treads. He says, I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the king. Who are the 
kings. You and I. Then he says, I am the Lord of lords. Who are the lords? Exactly. We are. Do you know what the word Lord actually meant in the Old Testament and the New Testament? A Lord was a landowner. So he says, you are the Lord of land ownership. That coat that Jesus wore, that that outfit that he wore that was so expensive that at the cross they couldn't rip. You know why? It wasn't just that it looked good. It wasn't just that it looked pretty. They couldn't rip it because it was so expensive. Because it was the the jacket, the, the, the very coat of a land lord. Because his father had land. And then he wore that, la- that, that coat as a son. He could, they could not remove it because anyone who wore it had great stature. You are the king under the king. You are the Lord under the Lord. Can you imagine how much territory we really have? Every place my foot treads. When you go into the shops on on Monday, every place where you your foot treads, he says, I've given it to you. Brisbane is ours. Brisbane is ours. Wherever he sends you, whenever I'm on a plane, and I'm on hundreds of them, when I get on that plane, I look at the name. What country has it come from? Once I was on Royal Brunei. Royal Brunei? I'm in your territory. God says, that land is now mine. That's my territory. I'm a king. When I'm on a plane, the plane can't crash. I tell you, that plane is looked after when Queen Elizabeth gets on it. I have bodyguards because I am a king. Angels get on that plane. And if that plane looks like it's sinking, I'm telling you, get out there on that wing. You fly, guys. I will never forget, I was sitting in a plane, and I'll finish. And I was going from London to Paris. I do not do planes. The only way I do planes is I sleep, because it's my moment without people. I'm sorry, I know I should probably evangelize, but I usually don't. It's my time when I can just have a snooze, snore, do what I want. So I got on the plane... And I put my book up like this so that the person sitting next to me would realize she's not talking. This man got on next to me. And back then, I was, uh, my, my husband worked for Qantas, uh, Australian Airlines, and then, yeah, and then Qantas. And so we used to get very, very cheap flights. So I was going business class. Well, it's great for next to nothing. And so we got on, and this man sat next to me, and he said, hello. And I said, hello. He said, where are you going? I said, the plane's going to Paris. I hope I am too. The book's back up. I'm thinking, I just want to sleep. He said, what do you do for a living? I'm thinking, I know. I'm just going to keep him quiet. So I lurched into Jesus. I'm a pastor. I'm this and I, and Jesus Christ, do you know him? And I'm giving him a salvation message in two minutes. I thought, That'll, that, he's not going to want to talk to me. And he looked and he said, Really? He's, and, and I'm thinking, this guy is going to want to talk. I said, so what, what about you? He says, I'm a Jew. And I said, oh, okay. I said, my, my, my husband's, you know, got a bit of a Jew in him somewhere back. You know, I always knew. Was, you know. And I said, so what do you do? And he said, well, he said, I own one of the biggest shoe manufacturers in the world in Israel. He said, I make shoes for guests. For Amani, for and he's and I'm like I'm a woman. I am now. I am now transfixed on this man. Hello, you know. So we got talking and we were talking and, and we're getting close to Paris. And he, uh, as we did, the, the global financial crisis was just beginning. And I said to him, "So tell me, how is the global financial crisis affecting your business?" And and we were talking about fiscal things. And he looked at me, and honestly, I will, I can't even do it. But he looked at me like I had gone totally insane. Like, you know, I'd just gone into a mental assignment, asylum. He looked at me and he said, I'm a Jew. I'm blessed. 
I mean, it wasn't even like, I'm a Christian, I'm blessed. Hallelujah, oh God, the enemy's after me. This man knew something I didn't. This man had something that he understood, Kadesh. He understood what Esther understood when she went to the king. She un- he understood what Daniel understood when he stood there in the lion's den and said, lions, just keep your mouth shut for the night because you're in the presence of a king. He understood something that those three boys, when they got into that fire, this is a fire, but you cannot burn a king. He understood he was blessed. Could you, could you imagine that no matter where I go, no matter what the enemy tries to do to me, I am blessed because I am Kadesh. I am a holy generation. I am a king under the king of kings. Whew. Could you imagine if the church could get a revelation of this and understood the power that we have in society to shift the culture. Because as an apostolic house, we are the apostleship that goes into a culture, that goes into politics, that goes into government, that goes into education on a Monday with our kids in school, that go into Hollywood, that go into the media, that go in, that goes on Facebook on Tuesday, that has a business on Wednesday. Could you imagine? I am blessed and I am permeating the, the, the very culture of heaven in every place that I touch. Oh, I just want a revelation of that because if I can get it, no weapon that is ever formed against a king will ever prosper because I have an army behind me. Remember the prophet said, I'll open his eyes, Lord, so we can see because there is an army where there is a king. No wonder we're about to see angels because you are called, you are appointed, you're on assignment and so are they because a king is about to go through and step through and do something in territory that they just stand amazed at. Amen? Thank you, Father. You know, I just want to finish. And can I just give you one very quick testimony? I was in April, and I'm finished. In April, I had to go down to Sydney to do a wedding. And uh, we had the wedding, and then we were going back to our house, and I was going to have a bit of a sleep the afternoon. Then the reception was going to be on Sydney Harbour. We were driving around, flying around in a boat on Sydney Harbour for hours. I decided I never want to be on a cruise. it's it's like, I just want to get off, you know, it's boring. I guess cruises aren't, but it was like, we're on this cruise. But the problem was that as we left, the mother and father of the bride picked us up, four of us in a car, and we ended up getting very, very lost. Now the boat was leaving at 7 p.m. And it's her daughter, it's their daughter that, that had just been married. So we're getting more lost and more lost. We've got three sat-navs, but you know, men. (laughs) Bless God for men. I'm not going to listen to a sat-nav and I certainly don't need to ask for instructions. We're just going round and round Sydney. It is now nearly 7.15. The guy is now in a panic. So he opens the door and we see a young girl walk past. And we say, excuse me, can you tell us how to get to the boat? She says, sure, just go left and left and you're there. What does he do? He's a man. He went straight ahead for three kilometers. Totally lost. We are now so far out of it. It's like we've missed the wedding. We look out. He says, get out of the car. We're dumping the car. I'm like, I'm just in the back seat, whatever. He said, and we'll catch a cab. So we're all out of the car. And next minute, who is there but the girl we had just asked? The Asian girl. She had just, I don't know how she got there. This was three kilometers. She's there. So the father of the bride says, quick, get in the car and take us. 
I'm like, we could be mass murderers. She's in the car. She's got a mobile phone. Now, the mobile phone did not ring, and the mobile phone, she didn't ring it. She got on the phone and she said, it's okay, Father, I've got them. I'm like, oh, man. I said to her, uh, you know that we entertain angels unawares? She said, yes, and told me something about Jesus. I was like still freaked out. So she gets us there. We're about to walk down, and, and I said, I want your card. I wanted to know she was real. She gives me a card, and I put it in a certain place in my handbag because I was going to check it later. thing was, it was gone. Anyway, I said to her, where are you from? I'm thinking, she's going to tell me heaven. I know it. She's an angel. Different, short, but whatever. She's an angel. And she looked at me and she said, I'm from Surabaya, the place you have to go to next. I'm like, okay. You know, the, the, the wedding sort of lost its, its whole thing by then. I was like, Surabaya, that's Indonesia. Two weeks later, I get an email from someone saying, Amanda, would you come to Indonesia, Surabaya, and preach? I'm like, I'm there. How am I going to get there? Do you know it took me 36 hours to go eight hours? I had to borrow points. Two days before I went, I did my back in. I'm on the bed. The doctor said, you got to, you know, you can't go anywhere. I'm like, I'm going to Surabaya. That angel's coming with me, you know, I don't care. I got up there, I went. It was a good meeting. We had great meetings. It was fun. The very last meeting, a woman walked up to me and she was like very plainly dressed. Very. Certainly didn't look like she had two bob to run, rub together. She walked up, she said, can you preach in my school tomorrow morning? I'm like, okay, whatever. Yep. I said, what time? She said, seven o'clock. I'm like, oh, I don't do, you know, I, I don't do planes and I don't do early mornings, but I'll do it. So I got, I got to, the, to the school and I, I preached to the teachers. I then preached to the children. It was an international school. Just spoke. Afterwards, we were invited into the principal's office and he looked at us and he said, I want you to come back. Um, I want you to do it four times a year. And I want you to bring Jesus into the school. I want you, because the school, some of it's Christian, but there is a huge percentage that's Muslim. And we want you to come in and, and coach even the teachers, do the children, and bring radical, a radical Jesus into the school. I'm like, we can do that. I prayed. God said, two radical interns, you take them with you. We've already got the, we've got the whole thing now. We're going in, in October and then we'll go back. We're doing a whole school camp. The interns have got five days to just be totally radical to these students. I'm telling you, we are in territory. You can be lost on a boat, but there is a servant from heaven. There is someone from heaven waiting just for you because you're a king. I don't care where you are or what you're going through. You have to know you're Kadesh. You are holy. You are a king. And because of that, angels are waiting to give you, for you to give them their orders of where you want them to go before you. My word, they're waiting to be taught by you because we're kings. Amen? My God is awesome. That woman not only has an a, a, a international school, they own a water park, they own a zoo, they own a 10-story shopping center, they also earn, own a convention center. And I'm like, thank you, God, this is the hour for kings. Are you a king? Absolutely. Let's start to think of ourselves as kings. Carry ourselves as kings.